0: Thank you very much. Um, Edward, it would help me if you kindly turn to uh, John 13. I know that um, it is printed on the uh, service sheet. I actually want to steal another verse uh, onto the end of it. So it would be great if you turn up the passage. It's on page 108.2 in the Church Bibles. And you need them open because we're going to look at page 1081 at some point as well. The extra keen amongst you will be encouraged to turn back to that if you're willing. Let me uh, read from verses 34 and 35 to start with. Page 108.2 in the Church Bibles. Jesus Christ speaking. A new command I give you. Love one another, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Uh, Edward gave us some of the rationale of why we are looking at this. We've done this series on the Ten Commandments, which finished the week before Remembrance Day, and I was faced with a a quandary as to whether whether to have the Remembrance Day weekend as a sort of standalone sermon, or to start a new series, and then it occurred to us that we could move from the Old Testament to the New Testament and conclude the Ten Commandments with a Christian application of the law, which is a very good thing to do because even though the New Testament endorses the Ten Commandments as a reflection of the Law Giver's character and as such as the moral law of the universe, nonetheless, you and I are not living... In Old Testament, Israel, the original recipients of the Ten Commandments. So it's a fruitful question to ask. How does Jesus fulfill the law? He tells us that he hasn't come to abolish the law. None of it will pass away, he says, even down to the jot and tittle of the law itself, the dots on the I's, the crossing of the T's. So then how did he teach the law in his lifetime? And then how did he fulfill it in the age of the spirit after he had ascended through his messengers, the apostles? Well, we could have looked at his summary of the law today. That famous thing where he's asked a question about what is the greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment is this, Jesus says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But I was very grateful to Daphne Abbott for a steer from her in one of our home groups when she suggested looking at these words of Jesus from the upper room recorded in John 13, 34-5. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples that you love one another. You'll know that there is a a pathos and an emotion and poignancy to last words that are spoken by someone, particularly if it's in the hearing of their friends, particularly if it's in the hearing of quite a substantial group of friends. When Nelson was dying after his great victory in the Battle of Trafalgar, October the 21st, 1805, It was more than three hours between his receiving a fatal wound at the hand of a French sniper and his final breath. And I suppose in that period of time, uh, there must have been many last words, if you like. I know that some of them have got uh, uh, immortalized and are well-known. Thank God I've done my duty. Kiss me, Hardy. Words that were addressed to Captain Thomas Hardy, who'd been with him on the quarterdeck when he was actually shot. Messages to his daughter, Horatia. Lots of last words, and all of them memorable and poignant. Well, in John chapter 13, we are in the last night of Jesus before his death on the cross. He's spoken already of leaving the disciples to their distress, going away to a place they can't come. He's shown the door to Judas, the false apostle who would betray him. He's washed his disciples' feet. And after this point that I've just read from, he's opening his heart to them perhaps more fully and more poignantly than at any time. In that setting, highly charged, Jesus gives this new command. Listen to his words again. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, as we've already seen in the service, it wasn't a wholly new command. Jesus' summary of the law, which I mentioned before, had quoted from our first reading of Leviticus 19, and the commandment that to love our neighbor. This command was repeatedly there at the heart of the Old Testament law. The newness of the command was that the occasion at Jesus' last supper with his his disciples, gave it, don't you think, a prominence and an importance over every other version of it. What one thing does Jesus want to enforce the day before he snatched away from his disciples? They're going to be without him, but they have each other. Well, they are to love each other. There's newness too. In the Original exemplar of this love. As Jesus has loved them, so they are to love each other. What higher motivation could there be? Maybe there's even a hint in that phrase, new commandment, of the new covenant that Jesus would inaugurate. It's often talk of newness in the Bible. In the new age, the mountains will flow with new wine. God's people will sing a new song and they will live By a new commandment. Not with the law out there on tablets of stone, but written by the Holy Spirit on the inside, in people's hearts, transforming them so that love for each other is supernaturally achieved in them. This is a new command. From now on, says Jesus, effectively it's to be the identifying badge of the Messiah's kingdom. It's a kingdom of love, his love. And by that love, everyone else will be able to identify who is in the kingdom. There was a phrase after the First World War that it had to be the war to end all wars, which was a great aspiration. But of course, within 20 years, there was an even more deadly global conflict. Still a few years back on Remembrance Day, I think clergy, myself included, had got used to talking about the two great wars of the 20th century, as if that kind of conflict was largely a thing of the past, and we tended not to notice particularly Helmand and Iraq and other conflict like that. Striking how this year there is war in Europe, and we're obliged to face the real possibility of a global conflict on our doorstep. Human conflict and violence, it's there in our newspapers, isn't it? And that confirms the warts and all testimony of the Bible, which says that sin is there in all of our hearts. It's part and parcel of the human condition. And nothing less than a supernatural work in people's hearts, a new covenant, can lift us out of that grim reality. So this is a word, it seems to me, which is supremely relevant to us today. Look at it again, if you would. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I don't think you'll miss the threefold repetition that's there. A new command I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, say so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. It's the one lesson that Jesus wants to enforce. Love one another. Let me repeat it in case you missed it. Love one another. Or maybe you were looking at your phone, as I said it the first two times. Let me say it again. Love one another. Let's step back from the command to begin with. Let me look at the example which lay behind the command, Jesus' example. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And my heading here is the origin of our love. At one level, it's a reminder of a scene which had just happened that evening when Jesus had stripped off and washed his disciples' feet John commented, a sort of editorial comment about that moment, that this was Jesus showing the full extent of his love, doing a basic, dirty, menial task of service, after which he argued from that example in just the same way as he does in our verses. Now that I, your master and order have done this, so you also ought to wash one another's feet, he said. So as I have loved you, at least refers to this example of simple, menial, lowly service, the foot washing. But was washing his disciples' feet really a case of showing his disciples the full extent of his love? Not literally, surely. What John meant by that phrase is that the foot washing is a picture of the sin washing that Jesus would do on the cross the very next day. That was how he would show he loved us fully. He'd die on the cross, bearing the punishment of our sins so we didn't have to bear it ourselves. It would be love for the unlovely, not waiting for us to clean up our lives before he had anything to do with us, but washing away our sin himself, taking the dirt and defilement of our lives on himself Let me change the metaphor a bit. You might know that Jesus was crucified on the city rubbish dump. It was as if all the filth and rubbish of our lives was emptied on him and he became the trash heap, unclean and unwanted, so that we could be accepted and welcomed in. That's the example of love behind this command, love for the unlovely, love that takes the initiative and cleanses the defiled and the disobedient. Surely, from our vantage point, we can't read those words, as I have loved you, without thinking of Jesus' love at the cross. I know it hadn't happened at this stage when he spoke them, but it has now as we look back on it. And I must say, I thank God for the tense of that phrase, loved, past tense. So often, describing the love of God or the love of Jesus The Bible puts it in the past tense. God so loved, past tense, the world, that he gave his one and only son, John 3.16. We are more than conquerors through him who, not through him who loves us, but through him who loved us. Romans 8.37. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, past tense and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Why does the Bible talk that way? Well, one reason surely is that we'll often wonder day to day whether God loves us now, present tense, but I know he loves me now if he loved me like that then. Maybe somebody here needs that reminder particularly today because of what you're passing through at the moment. Yes, God loves you. How wonderful that is. Here's how we know it. Jesus went to the cross for you. He loved you that much and in that way. On Remembrance Day, we take our mind back to the sacrifice of people in wartime. And maybe we call to mind amazing things done in the past, maybe quite some time ago. But the Bible calls on us to travel further back and to remember that supreme sacrifice. Come back. That figure racked in pain on the cross. Physically destroyed, yes. But even more, spiritually crucified for you and for your sin. He loved us like that. Because he loves us so much, more than we can ever imagine. So then that's the origin of our love. The example behind the command. Let's move on to the command itself. Because the order to love, the command is, of course, shaped by that example. Let me show you some ways we are to love each other, which Jesus' example highlights. For a start, love acts. And I think that past tense, which I've said is so important to me, is significant here as well. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That past tense reminds us that with Jesus, love took decisive action. Real love is committed. It's not wishy-washy and indecisive. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's not subject to mood swings or swayed by emotions. Not if we're to follow the example of Christ. He took action decisively. Love did something concrete. And love acts today. That's true that the Bible does locate love in the heart Love one another deeply from the heart, says Peter. In other words, I think it's important to say this, cold, clinical, mechanical deeds are not what the New Testament calls love. Our heart, our passion, our emotions should be involved. But love always does show in our deeds. Love acts. Again, love serves Doing the lowly, menial task which others don't much want to. Washing the feet of the saints is what Paul calls it in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And he could put other alternatives in. Hoovering the carpet after everyone else has gone. Updating the database. Putting out the bins. Going out of the way to give somebody a lift home. Dealing with dead wasps in the north extension of the church I've put down. I think I'm just thinking in terms of practical jobs that happen to make what we do on a Sunday work. All sorts of jobs are done, and not for many of them are people ever thanked. That kind of service is part of the normal currency of love for one another. We've had a gift day last week, and the focus is often on the financial aspects of the giving, which is fine, but the giving of time to serve is so important as well. I suppose the opportunity for service was curtailed in the pandemic. But love will find a way. Ich dien I serve, shouldn't just be a motto for royalty. It should be for all of us. Love serves. One other point of comparison. Love forgives because by definition, as we've seen with Jesus, this was love for the unlovely. He gave his love supremely for our sin when we couldn't repay it and didn't deserve it. And love for one another must operate despite each other's sin and shortcomings. You put 50 people together in one room like this and there will quite likely be things which strain our love for each other. Something that should have been done gets forgotten, some tone of voice, some turn of phrase which causes offense, whatever it might be. Certainly if we spend longer with Christians, maybe in one of the church's small groups, the more time we spend together, the more we talk, the more offense potentially we will have to forgive. Perhaps that's why some people never join a small group. They know they're going to get hurt. That's only half the story, of course. How wonderful when undeserved forgiving love flows and overcomes the inevitable hurts. I suppose you can multiply the potential for hurt even further within an even smaller group, in a family or in a marriage. When we are wronged, will we love then? Will we take the initiative in making up or will we lick our wounds and justify ourselves? Well, love forgives I invite you just to ponder those three areas just for a moment before we move on to the last little bit of verse 35. Think about our Sunday gatherings, smaller groups you're part of, and the micro group that you may be part of, a family scene, a marriage. Where will love Work if it's following Jesus' example in those three areas. Let's just pause for a moment and uh, ponder together. We've thought about the origin of our love in the example of Christ and his death for us. We've thought about the order to love, that new commandment. Let me just uh, draw to a close by mentioning the outcome of love. Because in verse 35, Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And that has been amply demonstrated in the history of the church. A little over 100 years after John wrote his gospel, there was a church leader in Carthage in North Africa called Tertullian. And it was a season of vicious persecution against Christians. Um, And yet he was able to report that the persecutors were blown away by the love they saw that Christians had for each other. So as believers drew together, even died for each other, in face of the fires of hostility, Their enemies, he reported, were forced to say, see how they love each other. And the attractiveness of our love for each other will have a power and an impact way beyond other things we might be tempted to rely on for the good press of the church. Way beyond our apologetics, the arguments we wield, way beyond our legal campaigns to establish uh, Christian freedoms, Way beyond our intellect. Beyond, if this is your thing, signs and wonders being shown in the church. Beyond gifts and abilities. Love which acts, love which serves, love which forgives. Love like Jesus Christ's love. That is the, it seems to me, the miracle of miracles, is it not? That's something the world cannot dismiss. Perhaps... People think today in our world, oh, I can't cope with Christians' beliefs in a scientific age. Or maybe they think our moral standards are objectionable, so judgmental and bigoted. Well, they still know love when they see it. And they appreciate it. It's attractive to them. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love Another. how important to invite people into our christian friendships and let those who don't know christ get a ringside seat on how we love each other not to have two hermetically sealed different groups we hang out with work and church or uh, friends and hobbies and church groups let those two permeate each other if that's possible What might the outcome of love not be if we, instead of being heard to say only what we're against to the world, tell the better story with our lives and our love? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Half term, those of you who've debriefed on the Scott family's half term, well, that was quite a sort of exhausting tough time in some ways but there were highlights along the way and one highlight for me I don't know if it was a highlight for everybody I'm not sure one highlight for me was a family trip to a museum the museum of the international red cross in Geneva and there were loads of mind-blowing exhibits there Now, one of them was very understated Um, they have the oldest red cross flag uh, in the world from a medical aid station in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870 to 1871. And there it is, up in a glass frame, faded, threadbare, with burn marks in the top right-hand corner, and the cross just slightly off-center uh, in the middle of the, uh, the flag, the banner. And I thought I was moving to see that. Now, I know that the Red Cross isn't specifically a Christian charity, and our verses are talking about Christians' love for each other, which is qualitatively different in one sense. But these verses also point, do they not, to the overflow of that love to the world. And the symbol chosen by Henry Dunant, who set set that uh, charity up, uh, wasn't an accident the loving self-sacrifice of Jesus was the inspiration behind that movement, which has done so much good in the world. And I want to come back to the cross, therefore, as I finish. See, I think that um, that call to love one another may well leave some of us struggling. We feel overwhelmed and inadequate to fulfill that command. I was saying to the 9.30 service this morning that um, as I rolled on my bed this morning at six o'clock facing the day I thought I'm not sure I've got it in me to get through the day um, particularly and the answer of course is we don't the answer is not to look in ourselves for the capacity to love we'll never have love to give unless we've been given that love ourselves we have love to give in as much as we've received it from the Lord Jesus, to pass on to others. So the call of this text is to receive the love of Christ afresh for ourselves. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Therefore, I want to invite you in the quiet before the service ends to deliberately, to to receive and to take on board the love of Jesus Christ for you. Love for the unlovely. To ask him to forgive your sins with his death on the cross, the agency for that. Lord, forgive my sins. Show your love to me and multiply that love to others. Just pause. Pause to pray in that vein. conscious um that that may have been praying that way maybe something you've never done before and if that's you i want to commend a little booklet called journey into life um, which has a a prayer you can pray to receive the love of christ for the first time yourself uh, at the back of this little booklet i'd love you to have a copy of that in fact they're on the table on the way out if you wanted to take one but we'd love you to receive one of those from us Edward, let's um,
1: carry on to this point. Our inspiration for loving one another is the Lord Jesus Himself, and our final hymn is a prayer that His love would be known by us, a prayer for His salvation and His grace and his deliverance. Let's stand to saying, love divine, all loves excelling. To earth, come down, fix in us thy heart. Let us all thy grace receive, suddenly return.